Today on CityCast Chicago, the story of the Pullman neighborhood on Chicago's far south side is actually about many stories. It's a history of railroads, labor strikes, the first African-American union and urban planning, all of which you can now learn about at the Pullman National Monument, which opened this past weekend. Just look out for the clock tower on 111th and Cottage Grove. We're going to take you through the monument. It's Tuesday, September 7th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. George Pullman is a giant in Chicago's industrial history. He created the Pullman neighborhood, and he was famous for building the ultimate luxury sleeper train car. It was basically the first-class travel of the day. We talking beds, dining areas, chefs, the works. Terry Gage is superintendent at the Pullman National Monument. Do you hear the sound of the, the train? You can hear the sound of the train on the tracks. When you step inside this rail car model, it gives you a feel for what it was like to travel on one of these cars. Now, George Pullman was not the first one to design a sleeper car, but what he decided he was going to do was he was going to decide, design the very best, most luxurious sleeping car. You can feel the plush carpet beneath your feet, right? And you can see the beautiful upholstery on the seats, the woodwork, the painting. I mean, this, like, yeah, this plush carpeting feels really good on the bottom of my feet. I know, isn't that great? So that's the railroad part of the history. Opening the monument on Labor Day weekend is a nod to the workers in Pullman fighting for fair wages, which they turned into a nationwide labor strike back in 1894. Mike Shermansky from the Pullman Historical Foundation picks up the story. In Chicago, getting ready for the World's Fair, prior to the Columbian Exposition, they had to build a lot of new cars to bring people from all around the world to the center of the country, to Chicago, and so there was this tremendous demand for all of that. So you had this abrupt change in the demand for Pullman products, and Pullman tried to keep people employed. He tried to share the work. Here's a choice. Do you want to be laid off and the plant close, or are you willing to take a reduction in pay while we worked through the recession. People only knew that their wages were being reduced and they didn't like it. What happened is that what turned out as a local strike um, with members of the American Railway Union turned into a national thing when the American Railway Union met in Chicago and they decided to support the local Pullman strike with a national boycott of, on Pullman cars. They brought the Western railroads almost to a halt. And the federal government came in and said, hey, you know, we can't have the mail system closed down. The federal government didn't just come in and say, hey, we need to get things back to work. There was a very violent conflict. Historians refer to 30 people being killed in the Pullman strike. But I don't know if any of those people were Pullman employees. Yeah. You find out that these people that were 
involved were all over the country. They were out in California. They were in other states. The activity in the community was very well moderated. I mean, people that lived here and worked here were bent on avoiding any violence locally. Wages weren't the only issue. You see, George Pullman was also his worker's landlord. And while he cut wages and hours, he didn't reduce the rent. So here on this side, it's all the labor stuff. Mm -hmm. Start off with the questions about Pullman, then you get over here and you're looking at the huge labor movement that sparked from boycott of 1894. So here's where police clash with protesters. So that happened around the turn of the century. Pullman was also the largest employer of African-American men, many of which were black porters. You see, they had to take care of all passenger needs on Pullman trains. I mean, everything. And most of their pay came from tips. They faced harassment, mistreatment, racism. In the 1920s and 30s, they made a huge move to unionize, led by A. Philip Randolph. It was also the first black union to be recognized. Oh, here's the Pullman Porters. They've got a section for the Brotherhood of the Sleeping Car Porters, and A. Philip Randolph, co-founder, civil rights icon. It's crazy that Buddy died in 1897, and the Sleeping Car Porters weren't acknowledged until, was it the 30s? Well, let's see. Let black organizers create their own union in 1925. 1925. They weren't recognized until 35 changes in labor law. Pullman, the neighborhood at 111th and Cottage Grove next to Roseland was a company town, meaning George Pullman created a town where his workers could live, work, and shop all in one place, and he controlled everything. Mike Shemansky tells me more about it. It had uh, a sanitary sewer system, and it also had water. People who came here had indoor plumbing. I mean, that's a big deal. And then there were convenient shopping facilities, like the arcade building. That was the forerunner of a modern shopping mall. So you had a bank in there, you had the post office, you had a fantastic theater on the second floor, which had seating for almost a thousand people. There was a large, or dance hall. So on, on Saturday nights, they would have dances in there. And we, in our archives, we have dance cards in those old days people would you know you had to sign up if you wanted to dance with a young lady and she controlled the card <laughs> <laughs> so can you imagine that aka bumble isn't that fun can you believe we have a toilet in our house pretty exciting huh every house in town is indoor plumbing sure beats our last place we had five privies for about a hundred people oh you know those kids are gonna love that fart noise watch this when i flush the toilet Mike moved to Pullman in 1967 when he was a graduate student and he's been fighting for a story to be told since then what was it about the neighborhood well there were two things there one it was historically significant already in in the planning community Pullman is very important. There were a couple faculty members from IIT that were moving here, and they also recognized that they were nice neighbors, you know, people who cared, and you had a real sense of, of community, where people, you know, you got to know your neighbors, they, they were 
looking out for each other, and also the diversity. We, we didn't want our kids to grow up in a strongly homogeneous suburb yeah. or area where everybody has the same income, they all drive, live in similar dwelling units, and here there's just wonderful diversity. I mean, it's been a historic landmark since, I believe, the 70s. Am I correct in that? Why did it take so long for the site to be developed? Because even as we look around, a lot of the other buildings are still dilapidated. It takes time because, especially in Pullman, where you have so many privately owned properties, where, you know, you have to, like when we were designated a city landmark, which has the strongest control over what can be done with the facade of a building, it, each owner has to sign a consent form for the city council to take action. And the other thing that impacted us significantly is the fact that this larger area, you know, like going over to Indiana and up to 79th Street as an example, lost 30,000 primary jobs in the steel industry and associated industries during the late 70s, 80s, and extending into the early 90s. And when you lose that capacity of support. Also, the area went through dramatic uh, segregation or in the late, late 60s, early 70s, uh, where Roseland and the far, you know, the south side changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. And that was another challenge. This community has been divested in for some time. What is a historic landmark? What is a, a national parks mean for the community in terms of visitors and economic opportunities? Once this place opens, which is going to be fantastic, you're identifying with a national cultural resource, you know, something that's cool. You, as soon as you say, well, I live in Pullman, wow, <laughs> because, no, seriously, because, you know, it's a national landmark. It has all these fantastic facilities, and the neighborhoods are good in developing it, and they have a lot of committed people. And the economic impact goes is if you have enough stuff to keep them there where they require lodging. Because then they're going to stay for dinner, they're going to do other things, they're going to be there for breakfast, and these human resources and creative resources start coming together. And that energizes and makes a community more attractive. Pullman National Monument is now open again. Look for the clock tower at 111. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Reminder parents, unvaccinated students who travel during Labor Day weekend are being asked to quarantine for the next 7 to 10 days. Those students won't have a remote option as that is only for students who test positive or have been forced to quarantine because of exposure. And some good news to get you through. As most of us are getting a work week started, I'm already dreaming of Saturday. This weekend in Washington Park is the 28th annual African Caribbean International Festival and the 5th annual Jerk Seafood Vegan Festival. Yeah, you heard me. Saturday and Sunday is going to have music, food, arts, and me and the homies with some full plates. Remember, for more Chicago stories and events, sign up for our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace.
come on, you saying it like I'm supposed to know what the fucking height average is for 1800 motherfuckers. They were shorter back then. <laughs> I don't remember that part of class when it was like, so today we're learning about the Gilded Age. The average height of these people was about 5'7". He might have had billions, but he was a small fella. People were short. 